You guys can turn to Genesis chapter 31. We'll start there. Most of our morning will be in chapter 32. It's good to be back with you today. I'll be here at Southwood today, obviously, and the next week. I've been over at Anderson the last couple weeks, and over there last week, last Sunday, I ran into a physical therapist who treated me years ago for a pinched nerve in my neck. I hadn't seen her probably in five or six years. She actually had worked on me for a long time. It took a lot of weeks um, because it was pinched so badly. It was a lot of pain, and so she had to do a lot of stuff to get it to release. What's interesting, though, is I had that moment, you probably had it, where you see somebody you haven't seen in years, and you're, you're like catching up with them, and you're trying to remember, how exactly did I know you? I knew she was a physical therapist, but I was like, what, what did I do? What had happened to me? How did I pinch that nerve? What, what brought me into your clinic? And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, like out of the blue. Oh yeah, I was there because I took off a sock wrong. That's actually my story. I pinched a nerve in my neck because I reached down to take off a dress sock and I did it wrong. And I ended up getting weeks of therapy. And there's nothing quite like a lame injury story to remind you of how broken your body is, like how easily it breaks, whether it's pinching a nerve or slipping and falling in the shower. Or one of my friends, this is the most embarrassing I know, he actually blew out every ligament in his knee bending down to use the toilet. Just went, bam, broke. That reminds us of how prone our bodies are to breaking. But as easily as our bodies break, I think actually our souls break even easier. And, and when our souls break, it's far more profound. Because when you pinch a nerve in your neck, you can take ibuprofen. You'll feel a little better the next day. But there's no ibuprofen for your soul. There's no rest and take some pills and and your broken spirit will suddenly get better. We break on the inside far more profoundly than we break on the outside, if you will. And I've been thinking about this a lot over the last couple weeks because my reason for being over at Anderson is I'm preaching my series that I gave here on mental health. And so about six months ago here, I preached on mental health, and, and I preached a sermon on my own depression. That's what I preached last Sunday at Anderson. And to be perfectly honest, it really bummed me out. It was not at all enjoyable to preach that sermon, and the reason is because my story is exactly the same. I to, I gave, you don't need to go listen to it. It's the exact same story I gave you all six months ago, and that's a bummer because I really want that to go away. I really want that part of my story to be done, and yet I keep waking up every morning and taking medication, and I have to watch my diet, and I have to exercise, and I have to have accountability, and have people speaking into my life, and all the same steps that I gave you six months ago, I have to keep doing those every day because the depression lingers, and that's just a reality for the deep brokenness inside each of us. It might not be depression for you, but there's something deep down and your soul that is broken, that is shattered so profoundly, so badly, that there is no medication and there is no weekend of rest that can make it all better. Ultimately, there are holes within each of us that only God can fill, only God can fix, but, but his healing may be measured not in days, but in decades. And so what I'm talking about is the brokenness in your life caused by maybe things other people did to you. A person abused you or abandoned you or betrayed you or a marriage fell apart or something like that that happened and left a deep wound in your soul. Or, or maybe it's a wound because of something bad you did to, to others. You, you killed a relationship or you gave into an addiction or you committed some shameful sin and those things leave a mark. 
They shatter you deep on the inside in ways that that don't just go away overnight. And I think what's important for us to recognize as followers of God is that becoming a Christian doesn't instantly fix all of that, right? So how do you become a Christian? You guys hopefully know this by now. It's all about the gospel, the good news that God sent his own son Jesus to live a perfect life for us and then to take all of our sins and, and die in our place on the cross. And then God raised Jesus from the dead, conquering sin and death and Satan and now offers to all of us forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift. All you have to do is say, yes, God, I want that free gift of eternal life. And you have it instantly. But the moment you receive that eternal life, God doesn't just snap his fingers and remove all the brokenness inside of you. He could. He just doesn't do that. He doesn't instantly heal all of those shattered places deep in your soul. Those linger. Those remain. And so as you consider your life and as you think about yourself and and the brokenness deep down inside your soul, what hope is there? How does that get better? Well, we're going to talk about that this morning by looking at a man named Jacob who was profoundly broken deep on the inside, in, in his soul, in his spirit. He was a broken man to whom God brought a real measure of healing in the story we're going to read about this morning. Now, I've chosen my words very carefully. I say real measure of healing because even in this wonderful, great story we're going to read this morning, God did not make all of the brokenness go away in Jacob's life. In fact, we we won't look at it this morning, but things go downhill after this story. Jacob continues to struggle with a lot of the same hang-ups, a lot of the same sins. But God does do a miraculous work in Jacob's life in this moment. He brings a real measure of healing, and he can do the same for you. You may struggle with that wound, with that shattered place deep on the inside of you for the rest of your life, but God can bring a real and significant measure of healing to you if you'll follow Jacob's example. So we're going to jump into this story. We're going to look at this moment when God brings some real healing to Jacob. Let me give you a little background. So there once was a man named Abraham, long time ago, about 4,000 years ago. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac married a girl named Rebecca. And the two of them had twins, twin sons named Esau and Jacob. God chose Jacob to receive the inheritance of of all the land that was promised to Abraham. But Esau was born first, one minute earlier. And that meant that legally he owned all of the birthright, all of the inheritance. Jacob did not like that. And so Jacob spent the first part of his life scheming and manipulating and deceiving to steal the birthright from Esau. He succeeds, but Esau gets really mad, as you would imagine. And so Esau comes out to kill Jacob, and Jacob has to run away. He leaves everyone and everything, and he runs away. And when he runs away from his family, from his homeland, that's when God begins to break Jacob. Because he allows Jacob to fall prey to a deceiver who is even better than him. A guy named Laban. And you may know the story. Jacob falls prey to Laban. And through Laban's trickery, Jacob ends up in 20 years of forced labor. Just a horrible story. 20 years working for the guy. Really abused. Really deceived. He ends up leaving Laban's side after all these 20 years of labor with four wives who all hated each other. So really sad story. We're going to skip all that this morning. So when you think about Jacob, what do we know about Jacob? Well, he's a man who has a profound brokenness inside of him. 
He has these deep holes inside. And the greatest hole of all is that he grew up without his father's love. So Jacob was not loved by Isaac. It was Esau who had his father's love. And and Isaac didn't try to hide that. Isaac was clear with his favoritism. He favorited Esau, not Jacob. And so Jacob grew up under the shadow of his older brother, unloved by his father, and that's going to leave a hole inside anyone. And so up until the story we're going to read this morning, Jacob had spent his life up to this point trying to fill that hole left inside of him from growing up without his father's love. So the first thing he tries is through wealth. So he tries to trick Esau out of the birthright so he can capture all of this wealth. And he does end up deceiving Esau and winning, but then he loses everything in the process and has to run away. And then he tries to fill the hole with romantic love. So he's going to pursue Laban's daughter, but he ends up getting tricked. Like I said, he ends up with four wives. They all hate each other. So this marital harmony he was hoping for, it's not there. And so everything that Jacob has tried to use from this world, wealth, or romantic love to fill those holes deep inside his soul. None of it's worked. He is as shattered as ever. And so that's where we're going to encounter him in our story this morning. We're going to see God show up in Jacob's life, not to break him, that's already happened, but now to rebuild him. Okay, so this story of rebuilding Jacob, it begins actually in chapter 31. We're going to look there just for a moment. Chapter 31, look with me at verse 3. It says, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob has been in Laban's house for 20 years, and now God shows up and says, It's time to go home. It's time for you and your wives and your kids to go home. And so Jacob is going to head back home to the land of his birth. There is a problem, though. Now look at chapter 32, where we'll be most of the morning. Look at chapter 32, verse 3. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I might find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Just so you know, when it says 400 men, in the ancient world, that meant an army. That was a regular size for a militia. So notice it's men. He's not bringing his wives and kids to meet you. This isn't a family reunion. He's bringing his armed men. Okay, And, and Jacob understands that. So look what he says next. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. Jacob understands my brother is coming and he has not forgotten what I did to him. He hasn't forgotten that I stole the birthright. And so he's coming to me with an army. And Jacob recognizes, man, I'm trapped because he can't go back because he had made a covenant with Laban never to go back to Laban's land or Laban will attack him. And he can't stay here because Esau is coming with this army. And so Jacob understands I'm trapped. There's nothing I can do. The only thing really he can do is divide his company into two groups so that at least one can run away when the other gets attacked. The man is completely desperate. And so when you think about this moment when Jacob is going to encounter God, it is a moment of terror of desperation. This is the moment when your boss calls you in to his office to lay you off. This is the moment when your significant other sits down with you and says the relationship is at an end. 
This is the moment when they wheel you into the operating room for surgery. You are terrified. You are desperate. And that leads us to our first lesson. We'll have a lesson for each, each point of this passage that we walk through. Lesson number one, you see God most clearly in your moments of greatest need. It's when you are fearful, terrified, desperate, that you are most likely to hear God's voice and to understand his hand At work in your life. C.S. Lewis famously said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God speaks to us most clearly in times of suffering. But I think it's really important that we pause and recognize that was never God's intention. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had both perfect pleasure And perfect intimacy with God. That was the design. That's what God wanted. But then we sinned. And when we sinned, that got broken. And because that is broken, now we are most likely to hear from God when we are in pain. And so in this moment of desperation, now Jacob is ready to hear God. And that's why James in the New Testament will tell us, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. You don't rejoice in the trial. You count the trial cause for joy because now you'll be able to hear God's voice more clearly because that's what life is like, this side of heaven. In our brokenness, it is only in our pain that we really hear the voice of God and see the hand of God. So that's our first lesson. You're going to encounter God most clearly in times of suffering. So Jacob is suffering. He is truly afraid. How does he respond to that fear? Well, he makes a good decision. He responds through a humble prayer. And so look with me at Jacob's prayer. It starts in verse 9. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your company and to your relatives and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I cross this short, and now I become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as a sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. This is a great prayer. It's a humble, desperate prayer. It's remarkable when you compare it to Jacob's last prayer recorded in Scripture. It was just a a few chapters earlier, Genesis 28. It's up on the screen. Then Jacob made a vow. He's praying to God saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's home in safety, then the Lord will be my God. You notice how different the prayers are. In the earlier prayer... Jacob was bargaining. Okay, God, if you do X, Y, and Z for me, then okay, I'll call you my God. Now in chapter 32, there's no bargaining. There's no conditions. There is just complete humility before God. He says in verse 10, God, I am unworthy. Everything good in my life you provided. I have nothing to bring to the table. I have no way to twist your arm. There's no way I can make you do anything for me. Then verse 11, he's pleading, God, please help me. Please deliver me. I have nowhere else to turn. What you're seeing in this prayer is that Jacob is truly broken. God has worked in his life to break him of his pride so that healing can begin. And that ultimately is always what's necessary. For God to begin to heal those shattered places deep down in your soul, first, he's got to break you of pride. He's got to humble you. 
Growth can't happen without that. And that's our next lesson. Healing begins with humility. So that is actually a cardinal rule in my pastoral counseling. I'm a pastor at a church in a college town, so I get a lot of calls from parents. A lot of calls from concerned parents who have a son or daughter of college age that's really struggling. And the parent will ask me, plead with me, please call my son, call my daughter and ask them to come in and meet with you. They need help. And this is going to sound harsh, but my answer is always the same. No, no I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you my number and my email address for you to share with your child. They have to take the first step. They have to ask for help. Why? Because we're not going to get anywhere until they're willing to ask for help. If I call them, it's going to be this weird thing. Like, my mom called you. I have to come in and meet with my past. That's never going to work. They have to get to the point where they are desperate and willing to say, please help me. Then healing can begin. Transformation can occur. And so what do you do if you're that parent? Or if you have a friend, a family member, an acquaintance who's really struggling well, what, what I would encourage you to do is to pray for them every day. God, please do whatever it takes to bring them to the point where they will ask for help. Because there is no help apart from that. God, use the, the brokenness and the suffering in their lives to humble them so that they'll be willing to admit they need help. Because then we can begin. Then all the resources of the church can be marshaled. God's kingdom can come alongside them and help lift them up. But, got to start with humility okay so once god has brought us to that place of brokenness where we realize that we are at the end of ourselves that we need help then healing can begin and so jacob has offered this wonderful humble prayer asking for god's help and and sure enough god does show up to help jacob but it is not in the way you would have expected and so that's the third part of this story this unexpected encounter between jacob and god look with me at verse 22 now he that is jacob arose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the jabbok he took them and sent them across the stream and he sent across whatever he had then jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak Let me explain what's going on here. So Jacob sends everything that he has, his two wives, his two concubines, all his kids, all his possessions across the Jabbok River. So he's going to send them all across, and then he's going to stay on this side to spend time in prayer and planning for this encounter he's about to have with Esau. Okay, so Jacob, if you think about the setting, Jacob is completely alone as night falls. And he is in the wilderness. This is what the Jabbok River looks like today. It is still utterly barren. There's nothing there. A little bit of water on a good day and a lot of dirt. And so Jacob is in the middle of the wilderness and it's nighttime. And remember, in the ancient world, there's no lights. There's no street lights. There's no artificial lights. That's why notice who Jacob thinks just showed up. A man. Now, you know, it's not a man. It's God. God is showing up as he often does in human form to meet with Jacob, but Jacob doesn't recognize him because it's pitch black at night. Jacob just knows some guy showed up and he wants to fight. And so Jacob and God begin to wrestle in this moment. And what should surprise us is not that God shows up, but what he does, God attacks Jacob. And that doesn't make sense because think about it. Jacob is obeying God right now. God told him to do what? Go home. Jacob said, okay. So Jacob is obeying. And what else is Jacob doing? He's praying. 
He's walking in humility. He's confessing his dependence upon God. He's doing everything you would say that he should do. So what would you expect God to do when God shows up? You'd expect him to comfort Jacob and bless him and lift him up and restore him. But God doesn't. God fights him. Why? Why would God assault a man who is walking in obedience and dependence upon God? Well, it's, it's kind of complex. You have to think through this and you've got to think through Jacob's story. What has Jacob been doing? Because fighting's not new to Jacob. Jacob's been fighting his whole life. So what is God doing in showing up in this moment of crisis to fight with Jacob? Well, I think what God is doing is he's showing up to tell Jacob, you know, Jacob, you have been fighting your whole life. You have been fighting other people to get what you thought would finally fill that hole in your heart left by your dad's lack of love. So you fought Esau for wealth, and it didn't fill you. And then you fought Laban for romantic love, and it didn't fill you. Jacob, I want you to understand it's time to stop fighting the wrong people. You have been fighting people to get things that could never fill you it is time to fight the only person who can ever fill that hole in your heart it's me it's always been me jacob i'm the one you should have been pursuing i'm the one you should have been wrestling with to fill that hole because i'm the only one who can so now it's time And so God shows up to assault Jacob, to help Jacob see that God is the one and only person in the entire universe who could fix this gaping hole inside his spirit. And that leads us to the next lesson. So many of us spend our lives wrestling the wrong people. We we deceive and we manipulate and we compete and we push people around to try to get the things from them that we think will fix those shattered places in our souls. We think will fill those gaping holes in us and, and they never do. No matter who we fight with, no matter who we compete with, it never fixes those holes deep in our soul. Why? Well, Blaise Pascal tells us it's really insightful. There is a God-shaped vacuum in every human's heart that cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's right. There's holes in you that cannot be filled by anything this world or the people of this world offers. So when you are fighting and competing and wrestling with the people of this world for all of the wonderful things this world can provide, whether it be wealth or love or fame or success, you got to realize none of that stuff will fix the deepest hole inside of you. Only God can. That's what led the great theologian Augustine to say this, you, God, have made us restless until we find our rest in you. That is exactly right. God made it this way. He made it where those deep holes inside of you could only be filled by him. And so, so long as you wrestle with other human beings, you will lack what you want most of all. You'll never find it in the things of the people of this world. That rest deep down in your soul, that healing in the shattered places, you'll only get that from God himself. So we need to stop wrestling with the wrong people. We need to recognize that only God can fix what we want, and that's a hard one for me to apply for you guys because all, all of us are in different places, but I would ask you to just spend some time today thinking, who are the wrong people I've been wrestling with? Who are the people in my life that I've been manipulating, deceiving, trying to push around to get what I thought would fill that hole in me? I want you to think about that.
want you to recognize you're wasting your time just like Jacob did. There is only one who can fill that hole in you. God. So finally, Jacob is ready to wrestle with the only one who matters. Jacob is wrestling with God. God has shown up to wrestle with Jacob. And it's not going to go quite like you would hope. Um, It's not a comforting encounter for Jacob. What God is about to do in Jacob's life is give him a debilitating touch. Look at verse 25. When he, that is God himself, saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Strange verse. So God is unable to overcome Jacob. Well, not because he can't, but because he chooses to let Jacob stand on his own two feet for a while. And the reason, again, is because I I think Jacob's a guy who's fought his whole life. He's a strong man. I mean, he worked in the fields for decades, stronger than any of us in this room. So he's a strong man. So God shows up and he says, okay, for a little while, I'm going to let you win. It's a little while. I'm going to let you feel like you are winning because that's how it's always worked out for you. You beat Esau, you beat Laban. You've always been able to stand on your own two feet. So let's play with that for a little bit. Let's make it feel like you can stand on your own two feet. Okay, you feel good, don't you? You feel like you're holding your own, don't you? Boom. And so in lit- literally in Hebrew, he just touches, just, t- just a finger on the hip, boom, it's over. And if you think about this injury, this is not like a game over injury. This is a career ending injury. You can fight with a dislocated shoulder. You got one arm. Okay. You can't fight with a dislocated hip. You, you can't stand. You can't throw your weight around. If you think about what's about to happen, who's showing up tomorrow morning? Esau with 400 soldiers. And now Jacob can't stand. That hip is dislocated. That's a, that's a career-ending injury. That's also a supernatural injury. You hear about people dislocating a shoulder. You don't hear about it with a hip. It's the deepest socket joint you have on your body. It's covered in all the surrounding connective tissue. It would take an unbelievable amount of power to pull that out, and yet God just touches him. This is the moment that Jacob knows this isn't a man. Something miraculous. This is God. And so look at what happens. This, this touch changes everything. Look at verse 26. Then he, that is God again, said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he, that is Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Instantly, Jacob realizes this is not a man, this is God. And God has just dislocated my hip and I will never stand on my own two feet again for the rest of my life. It's over. My only hope is to cling to him. And if you want a picture, what is happening here? Well, Jacob, he can't stand now. He's on the ground. He's done. And so what does he do? He does what your four-year-old does. Every time that your four-year-old wants to hold on to you, this happened to me when my kids were four, I'd be trying to walk out of the room and they've wrapped their arms around my ankle. I'm like, let go. Come on, let go. That's what's happening. That's all Jacob can do. He's being dragged on the ground by God. He will not let go of God's ankle. Why? Because he realizes if you go away, I'm finished. I'm never going to fight again. I'm done. I cannot stand on my own two feet. My only hope is to cling to God. My only hope to make it through my desperate need is to hold on to you, God. And so Jacob clings to to God, and that leaves us with our next lesson. Jacob is done bargaining, scheming, or trying to use his own strength. He recognizes that healing only comes if you cling to God. Lesson number four, for God to fix the unfixable in your life, you must cling to him. You can't bargain with God. You can't force his hand. You can't earn his help. All you can do is like a little four-year-old, wrap your arms around his ankle and hold on for dear life. 
And you may be holding on for a matter of minutes like Jacob did, a matter of days, a matter of months, a matter of years, a matter of decades. In my experience, usually it's going to be the latter. For places in your soul that are shattered, holes in you that are deep, you're probably going to be clinging for dear life for decades, if not for the rest of your life. Just don't let go. And for me, that really has become the mantra in in my own battle with depression. So here I am years into this thing, and I've come to the point of realizing it's not just going to go away. I'm not going to find a miracle medicine. Medicine does help. I'm not going to find some new exercise routine, some new diet, some new counselor. There's nothing that's going to just make it go away. So I need to do all of those healthy things, the steps that all of us must do to have mental health. I got to keep doing those each day. But the most important thing I will do today and every day for the rest of my life is what? Wrap my arms around God's ankle and not let go. That's the measure of success. I'm just like a little kid going to be dragged on the ground. I'm not going to let go. You got to hold on. You got to cling to God for dear life and plead for his help. Day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. We cling to God and that is what begins to bring God's healing in our lives. And as Jacob clinged to God, God did respond. God did something remarkable in Jacob's life. He gave him a new name to represent the fact that he was now a new man. So look with me at verse 27. So he, that is God, said to Jacob, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. You've got to remember, names in the ancient world weren't like names today. I've said that many times before. It was not a series of sounds that you used to get someone's attention. And the ancient world, a name was a summary of character. Your name was who you were. And it, this story is fascinating. I love this part of the story. God asked Jacob, what is your name? It's God. God knows. God knew a long time ago. It's Jacob. Why is he asking Jacob? Well, because Jacob means something. The, the word Jacob which we in English just uses the name. In Hebrew, it is literally heel grabber. It means a usurper. Someone who tries to manipulate and deceive and scheme to get what he wants in life. It's a deceptive person. That's a great name for Jacob, isn't it? Fits him perfectly. And so why is God saying, what's your name? Because he wants him to admit it. I want you to say it. I want you to say it. What is your name? Jacob says, Jacob. He said, heel grabber. You've been Jacobing people your whole life. Grabbing at their heels, scheming and deceiving to get what you thought would fill you. And then God says these incredible words, that is no longer what you'll be named. God gives him a new name. That's a, that's a picture in Hebrew of spiritual transformation. This is a moment when God is making Jacob new. He says, from now on you will be Israel. Which Israel in Hebrew mean, means God fights, particularly God fights for me. So God is saying, no longer are you heel grabber. Now you are God fights for me. God has my back. God's saying to Jacob, the basic idea of your character will now be Israel. You will be the kind of man who allows God to fight your battles. Who trusts in God to take care of you. I I love this story because actually if you read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you'll find out this happens a lot. God is in the business of giving people new names. So it happens a lot in the Old Testament. It happens also a lot in the New Testament. You think about Simon, who was brash, unwise. 
he becomes Peter. Jesus renames him the rock. Think about Saul, who was a murderer, who persecuted Christians. Jesus renames him Paul, the great apostle of the Gentiles. God is in the business of, pe- of giving people new names that transform who they are, that demonstrate the, the character change that God has worked in their lives. And that's the next lesson for us. Who you were in the past does not define who you'll be in the future because God can give you a new name. Now, when we think about this idea of getting a new name, no longer is Jacob Jacob, he is now Israel. Again, that doesn't mean that all the bad stuff is gone. Israel will still struggle with some of his same hangups, some of his same temptations, but God has brought an incredible transformation in this person's life, in this man's life, and you see it. In just the the next few verses, you're going to see this amazing transformation that has happened. If you look at chapter 33, Verse 1, then Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids and their children in front and Leah and her children next and Rachel and Joseph last. But he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And picture here what's happening. So Jacob is not going to do what he's done in the past, which is try to protect himself. Instead, he puts everything he values behind him. He's in the position of risk. And he walks out to meet his brother. And what does he do? He doesn't say, hey, bro, you're on my land because remember, I bought it for that bowl of soup, so go away. There's no bargaining. There's no excuses. There's no demands. He bows. He bows in front of Esau. And if you think about what does it look like for one guy to bow in front of 400 soldiers? Well, that's a great position to get your head lopped off. That's an absolutely dependent. You cannot defend yourself. You can do nothing. He bows before Esau to demonstrate, I'm done fighting. I'm done scheming. I'm done making excuses. I repent. This is an act of repentance because he owed Esau like a huge apology because he did deceive him. He was a jerk to Esau. He owns that sin, repents before Esau, and puts his life in God's hands. God, I can't defend myself. So if you really mean for me to be Israel, you're the one who will have to now get my back. And God works a miracle. Look at the next verse. Verse 4, then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And that's an incredible miracle because last time they saw each other, Esau was trying to kill Jacob for good reason. And now, they're not just reconciled, they love each other. There's an embrace, there's, there's this reconciliation of this relationship. God works a miracle. And what God is trying to show us in this moment is that with God, there's always hope. Even when it doesn't feel like there's hope from a human perspective. With, with God, there is, because God can give you a new name. God can transform who you've thought of yourself as. So for many of you, there may be a name that others have given you or that you have given yourself that you really want to leave behind you. It could be addict, anorexic, unloved, abandoned, gossip, failure, workaholic. There's all of these names that we give ourselves or that other people give us that we just can't seem to get rid of. And yet the good news is that God is in the business of renaming people. 
God can give you a new name and transform you just like he did Jacob. Now, again, that that doesn't mean that everything just instantly gets better. You may struggle with that wound for the rest of your life. You may struggle with that temptation for the rest of your life. But God can bring real transformation into your life. He can give you a new name. What must you do? Humbly cling to him. That's what you do. That's, That's your part in this whole bargain. You must cling to God humbly. Just like Jacob did, you must wrap your arms around his ankle and not let go. Plead with him for help. If there is a relationship in your life that just seems completely beyond hope, if there is a sin struggle that feels like it owns you, if, if there is some part of your life that seems like it's never going to get better, it can. You just have to humbly cling to God. Not for days, not for months but for the rest of your life. God can bring incredible healing if we will humbly cling to him. And so let's go to the Lord and pray that he would humble us and help us to cling to him. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that you are a God who understands our weaknesses. You are a God who can see in perfect clarity those holes deep inside of our souls that we hide from other people maybe that we haven't even yet recognized ourselves. You see those holes and you know better than we do that you are the only person who can fill them. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that for each one of us, you would do whatever it takes to humble us, to break us of our pride, to get us on our knees before you, and to help us to cling to you. Heavenly Father, we confess we we cannot fix the brokenness inside of us. It's way beyond our capacities. We cannot fill those gaping holes inside of us. We desperately need you. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray, help us to humbly cling to you this day forth and forever. We pray, Lord God, that not only would we do that in our own lives, but that we would model that humility, that that desperate dependence upon you to one another and to the world at large. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be honest about our brokenness, that we would not try to put it behind a mask of having as if our lives were all together, but that we would be open and honest and vulnerable with the pain that we have and the struggles that we have, and that we would demonstrate to the world that there really is hope when we cling to Jesus. We pray, Heavenly Father, that as we cling to you, that you would work in mighty ways in our lives, that you would shape new names for each of us, that you would help us to leave, leave behind us those painful, tragic names of the past and walk in the light of our new identity in Christ. We pray, Heavenly Father, help us, heal us, begin to work in us just as you did in Jacob. Thank you that in Christ there is always hope. In his name and for his glory we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. I'll see you next week.